0: One of the tough choices as I was thinking about where to turn for this week's message was that there are so many passages of which you've just seen a sampling that deal with the theme that is before us today. I have said it is one sort of a demonstrative passage to demonstrate how this silence comes, and then our main passage for the day, both from the Old Testament, first from First Kings, the 19th chapter, 1 Kings 19, beginning at the second part of verse 9, part of the story of Elijah who has kind of gone into hiding for fear that uh, he alone is left. We'll begin then with 1 Kings 19, second half of verse 9, and read through verse 18. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to him What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Yehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Abel Malholah, to succeed you as prophet. Yehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Yehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Then our main passage for the day from Psalm 46. Let us hear these words from the psalmist, Psalm Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. May God add his blessing to this, our reading of his word. Amen. And God said, Be still. kind of tough to be silent, isn't it? Even in church, some of you online are probably starting to type the message, what's wrong with the sound? But even in church, silence is difficult. I remember when I was growing up my home church, the choir often began the worship service by singing that little hymn, the Lord is in His holy temple, the Lord is in His holy temple, the Lord is in His holy temple, and all the earth keeps silence before Him. Keep silence. Keep silence before Him. And it was beautiful. But a second or two later, the pastor would get up and he would start to talk, or the organ would start and we'd be singing hymns, and there was no silence. Fact is, noise is a fact of life. It distracts and fuzzies our focus. (laughs) There was a 73-year-old man in Berlin, Germany, who took an unusual approach to trying to bring some peace and silence into his marriage. And so he he mounted a 220-volt rooftop air raid siren on his roof to stun his wife into silence. He was later confiscated by the police because the neighbors complained, but, but he said to the police, My wife never lets me get a word in edgeways, so I crank up the siren, let it rip for a few minutes, and it works every time. Afterwards, it's real quiet again. His wife of 32 years said, My husband is a stubborn mule, so I have to get loud. <laughs> Noise is a fact of life. Poet John Donne wrote, I throw myself down in my chamber, and I call in and invite God and his angels in. And when they are there, I neglect God and his angels. And then he says, why? For the noise of a fly, for the rattling of a coach, for the whining of a door. Noise distracts us. But it's not a new problem. It's been around for a long time. The psalmist acknowledges it. He mentions the forces of nature going wild and being destructive. Verses 2 and 3 of that 46th psalm. Though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. It represents all of the, the troublesome noise and storms of life that tend to distract us. Our world is filled with noise. Music, shouting, rioting, media, crowds, wars, advertising, radios, televisions, phones, terrorism, persecution, disease, hatred, incivility, the after effects of a a pandemic, and the list is endless. They've all put us at a state of dis-ease. Add to that the fact that doctors now warn that a steady onslaught of loud noise, particularly through earbuds and ear pods is damaging the hearing of a generation wired for sound even though they may not be aware of it for many years. They say that more than one billion young people are at risk of a hearing loss because of hearing devices and damaging levels of sound at entertainment venues. Now, Some of you are thinking, ah, you're just an old fuddy-duddy, but listen to this. It's now estimated that hearing loss among today's teens is about 30% higher than it was in the 1980s and 1990s. And why do I bring that up? Not to make family discussion, but I bring it up for this. Physical hearing, physical loss is a serious situation. But spiritual hearing loss is devastating. Which is why one person asked, will anyone in the wire generation be able to hear the voice of God in the midst of the barrage of noise around us? For honest. We'll admit we become accustomed to noise, even though it often overwhelms us. And we we begin to be uneasy with silence and comfortable with and addicted to noise and crowds. There's all kinds of background noise. What does it say about our souls if we prefer the noise and shun the silence? The words of Isaiah the prophet are still apropos for today. Isaiah 30, 15. For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, You will be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence. But you are not willing. That's why I believe the psalmist points us to a focal point. Be still. We need to be silent to hear God's voice. Some years ago, a church in England recorded a CD they called The Sounds of Silence, and it wasn't the song we're used to hearing from Simon and Garfunkel, but it was literally 30-minute CD. Introduction at the beginning, and some words of conclusion in 28 minutes of silence. And they found that the people of the church found it very, very meaningful, and from around the world, people began to snack, snatch it up and buy it. An article in a Taiwanese newspaper called the CD a half hour of absolutely nothing. But the reality is it was a half hour of what we so desperately need, simply silence. So God's words are important to us. Be still. Literally, it says, stop it. Enough of this. Any parents ever say either of those to your kids? (laughs) Well, God, our Father, is speaking to us. Stop it. Enough. No more. Enough of your noise. Stop your complaining, complaining and your questioning and your arguing and your doubting and your fearing and your fretting and your worrying. Just stop. Be still. Get silent so I can speak to you because there are some things you need to remember and to learn and to hear. That's precisely how God ministered to Elijah in the passage we read. Only when all was quiet in the stillness Did God speak? And then he spoke in a whisper. We don't even know what he said. Just that it was in a whisper. So the question is, what does silence and stillness look like? Well, silence is an easy definition. It means to close your mouth, to be quiet, to listen. Stillness... Put some flesh on it. It says to be at peace. It's a state of mind that regardless of the noise around us produces a quietness within our bodies, a stillness within our minds, and a peace within our hearts. It's interesting that many of the speakers that are made these days, they have devices in them to filter out the background noise. I think the psalmist is saying we need some spiritual filters to get rid of the background noise of the world in which we live. Isaiah said it well, Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And the word fixed literally means who lean into you. So indeed, in the midst of the noise around us, we lean into Jesus. We lean on him. We need to make make be still appointments with God. But how do we do that? How do we make be still appointments with God? First, we enter into the Word of God. I love Psalm 73. Because in that psalm, the psalmist is talking about how unfair life seems to be that the wicked are doing all these wicked things, but they're gaining all the advantages, they're gaining all the power, they're getting all the riches. Verse after verse, he multiplies all of his complaints and concerns, but then something happens that changes his perspective. Verse 17 of Psalm 73, I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. His godly perspective was provided by entering into the presence of and focusing on God. He changed where he was looking. Hazel Hurst was blind blind and a trainer of seeing eye dogs for the blind. And she said the most difficult thing in the training of the dog was to raise their eye levels. Dogs have normally an eye level of about 18 inches. Most people have eye levels of four feet and above. So that if a blind person is walking and anything over four feet comes in front of them, a normal dog would never see it. So they need to be trained to raise their eye level so they can help the person who needs the help. And spiritually speaking, that's exactly what we need to do. We need to raise our eye level. We need to look at life as God sees it. And that's what entering the Word does for us. Entering the Word enables us to see life from God's perspective. Jesus said, John 15, 7, If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Pastor Kevin mentioned that a few minutes ago. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. If you enter into me, I will enter into you. Paul put it, Colossians 3, 16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Our eye level makes all the difference. And so in the midst of the noise or distractions around us, enter into the Word of God. Entering the Word and and then enter into prayer. What better passage than Paul's words for the Philippians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 6. Do not be anxious, don't fret, don't worry, don't panic about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul said that kind of prayer filters out all the noise producing anxiety around us and ushers us into a state of peace. I love the fact that the Bible tells us that even Jesus got distracted because of the quaking noise around him. In John, the 12th chapter, he's talking to his disciples. It's, it's getting near time now for his crucifixion. He's speaking of his impending crucifixion, and he says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. And later that very evening, he went to Gethsemane. Mark records that in Gethsemane, horror came over him. Mark fourteen thirty three.
1: 33.
0: Whore means you're, you're rendered helpless. You're disoriented. You're extremely agitated. But we know what Jesus did. He entered into prayer. So intensely, says Luke, that He sweat drops of blood as He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup, this crucifixion, this bearing of the sin of the world. The, take it from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. He submitted his troubled heart to God. So the writer of the Hebrews could say in Hebrews 5, 7, in his life on earth, Jesus made his prayers and requests with loud cries and tears to God who could save him from death. Because he was humble and devoted, God heard him. Prayer is a filter, an antidote. The anxiety, the noise, and the distraction of our world. We enter into the word, we enter into prayer, and we enter into obedience. The Old Testament states that we wait and remain still by being obedient. Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. Psalm 119, verse 166, I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands. We come then to the, almost to the end of the Scriptures in that precious little letter of Jude, and it says, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And how do we remain in God's love? Jesus told us, John 14:15: If you love me, keep my commands. Don't listen to the noise. Enter into the Word. Enter into prayer. Enter into obedience. And God will speak to you. Someone put it this way, let your obedience be the place where God shows up and does a great work both in you and through you. Be in the midst of the noise who God wants you to be. Do what He wants you to do. Go where He wants you to go. I suppose in some way, those are your take home points that usually come at the end of the sermon. It's not that I lost my place, but that I'm following the psalm. The psalm tells us to be silent because God wants to speak to us and things He wants us to remember and know. And indeed, if we enter in that way, we learn the facts of who He is and what He does. First thing the psalmist says is God is present with us, He's always in the midst of His people. Think of the places he was present. He was in the pillar where he led them with that cloud through the wilderness all those years. In the temple, he met them for worship. In the tabernacle, he was enshrined as the law to follow. But now the psalmist says there's another place, verses 4 and 5, the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. The city, of course, refers to Jerusalem. The place where the Jews gathered for their worship festivals to learn, to declare the greatness of God, to to re-pledge their loyalty to Him. Jerusalem where God was present in all of His honor and glory. And yet throughout Scripture, this earthly Jerusalem points to an even greater place. The city of God is a major theme throughout the Scriptures. Its culmination is in that, that ultimate city of God to which we all long, the dwelling place of all the saints. A city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And we long for it because it's the holy place where the Most High dwells. The place where God will always have a presence. But notice verse 7. The Lord God Almighty is with us. See the change? He's saying we no longer need to go to a special place. He is the God who is present in the place where His people are. And that phrase, the Lord Almighty, that's the Lord that Joshua met in the fifth chapter of Joshua. Remember that he was scouting out the area for, in terms of entering into battle. And suddenly he sees a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, But as commander of the Lord's armies I have now come. That commander of the Lord's armies, same wording as the Lord Almighty. He is the commander of the Lord's army and He is the one who is with us. In the midst of all the noise and distractions, even in the midst of our battles, in the stillness and waiting, we'll find He fights our battles. It was one of the verses on the screen during the offering, Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. we make God our focal point, He'll remind us of His presence. And secondly, that He is our provider. Verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now to put it in context, Jerusalem had no natural river flowing through it. So their enemies assumed that if they could cut off the water supply, Israel would only have two choices, die of thirst or surrender. But what they didn't know was that Hezekiah had rerouted some water in into the city, into a reservoir. And so they would never die of thirst, and they didn't have to surrender. The river came to civilize that that channel by which God pours forth His rain from heavenly storehouses, rain and water which brings refreshing and life. It's what's pictured in Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The river is a source of fertility, nurture, and hope. And what's most exciting is all three members of the Trinity are referred to as the river of life. Probably should open that way today. I didn't even think about that. God the Father is the river. Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God the Son is the river, the fountain of salvation. Zechariah 13.1 said, On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Jesus claimed it for Himself in John 4. Everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And God the Spirit is the river. John seven thirty eight. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So in Psalm 46, the psalmist is really pointing ahead to the significance of Pentecost, that God is not only with us, but God is in us. The source of life is in us. We are the place where he dwells. Which is why Paul could write in 1 Corinthians six 19, don't you know that your body is the temple of God? of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. No wonder the streams make glad the city of God. The river, the Spirit of God is always reviving and nourishing us, giving us life, provides refreshment for the parched, thirsty soul, satisfaction for our thirsty desires, grace and love for broken hearts, truth for doubting hearts, peace for troubled hearts, comfort for sorrowing hearts, companionship for lonely hearts. And the gladness is so abundant that it flows through us into others. Entering into stillness reminds us that God is present, that he provides, but also that he protects us. He is our protector. And under this This heading, the psalmist says several things about this protection. First, in verse 20, he says, God is an ever-present help in trouble. Literally, it says, and some translations, put it this way, God lets himself be found. I once did what turned out to be a wonderful children's sermon on that that verse. I had that verse, and then I asked the the children to close their eyes, and I told them that I was going to go hide in the sanctuary, and then when I told them they could open their eyes, see if they could find me. So the first thing I did was I I went down kind of behind the first pew and ducked down, but kept my head up, and I just said, Okay, can you find me? And, of course, they all looked at me right away and said, Yeah, there you are. I had them close their eyes again, and I went and I stood over at the end of the pew, but just left my head up again, and same thing happened. I hid in a third place. Same thing happened. And then the little boy said, You're not very good at hiding, are you? And while that was cute and funny, it was the cue I needed. It was a divine moment because it enabled me to say, exactly, and neither is God. He lets himself be found in the times of our trouble. How does he do it? Verse 1, he is our refuge, a place of safety and protection, a place where we can go and know we're safe. Robert Louis Stevenson told a story of a ship that was tossed in a storm. They were by a rocky coast and it was very dangerous and the waves were crashing and the seamen on board were trying their best but they were becoming frightened and one young man in particular who was well down below the waterline began to panic and so he, he bolted from there and he went up to the control room where the captain was and he watched as the captain calmly but with great strength steered the ship out into the open water where it was calm and peaceful. And when he had done so, he looked at the young seamen and he simply smiled. The young seaman turned and went back down to where he had been and said to the others, It's okay, everything's all right. They said, What do you mean? How do you know? And he said, Because I saw the face of the captain. And he smiled at me. When we enter into silence, we see his smile. No matter what the storms of life, we will not fear Though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake with their surging, the commander of the Lord's armies, Jesus himself is present and he's in control. He's smiling. If he's your focal point. Another part of that protection is that he is our strength. A man went to the Chicago World Fair many years ago. And he was impressed because in the distance he saw another man in beautiful oriental robes pumping water. As he stood and watched, he was amazed at how much water was being pumped and how regular the man was and the strength that he had. And so he he went up and got closer. And as he got closer, he realized that it wasn't a real man. It was a wooden figure. And the man wasn't pumping the water. The water was moving him. What is it Luther's hymn states? Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing, Christ Jesus. It is He. As Paul wrote to Philippians, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. In our silence, we learn that He is strength. And also we are reminded that he is our fortress. What a beautiful pregnant phrase. He is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Remember how God blessed Jacob even in the midst of all of his rebellion and made him a patriarch. He was his fortress. The enemy cannot get to us. No matter what the world says, no matter the noise, no matter the clamor, no matter how strong our rebellion, the enemy cannot get to us because God has the power to keep us safe in His arms. Our peace is in Him. Some of you may remember a pro football player by the name of Dennis Byrd back in the early 90s. He was an up-and-coming defensive superstar for the New York Jets, was predicted to help turn the Jets franchise around. But on November 29, 1992, the Jets were playing the Chiefs, and Dennis was about to sack the quarterback when he collided with one of his own teammates, and immediately his spinal cord was severed. In a split second, his career was over, paralyzed from the neck down. Everything he planned for and had hoped for was gone. And later he wrote about waking up in the hospital in the middle of the night, feeling the halo brace, not knowing where he was, not knowing why. He couldn't move. Suddenly he had gone from thinking about being in a Pro Bowl to wondering if he he would ever hold his infant daughter again. From a worldly perspective, Dennis Byrd's life was a failure that he could no longer reach his potential but in god's eyes dennis bird was capable of so much more in god's eyes dennis bird was capable of giving him glory and dennis did that in a tremendous way the world watched and listened as, as he would speak to the media and said that christ was the source of his comfort and strength during all of this at the same time the doctors were saying to the media we don't know if he'll ever walk again and it may be several years before we can determine whether he will walk again. And then Dennis would say, no, I will walk again and it will be soon. And less than one year later, opening day of the next season, 75,000 fans were standing, millions were watching on TV. as Dennis Bird walked to the center of the field to help them open up their first game of the season. The miracle in Dennis Bird's life, however, was not that he broke his neck and walked again. The miracle is that the injury that destroyed his career did not destroy his life and testimony. The God of Jacob was his fortress. And we learn from the psalmist that God can do all that because he is powerful. He is all sovereign. I love these verses. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations He's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. God still rules the world. Remember the words of Jesus? In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And Revelation shows us Jesus Christ seated on the throne ruling the world. Maybe the picture that brings it all back is, comes from Sarah McCracken who wrote about hummingbirds. We know that hummingbirds flap their wings at about 50 beats per minute. And, uh, per second, not per minute. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for the frown, honey. I, I could tell I wasn't right. At 50 beats per second. And yet when you look at a hummingbird, he looks so still. You'd never know 50 beats per second. Sarah McCracken then said these words, When I think of God's grace at play in my own life, my most successful moments happen when I hold steady at the center. Confidence is found not in productivity, but in the quietness of heart. That's what it means to be still. We may be flapping at 50 beats per second, but we can be still. Because it's in a moment like that when, as Isaiah said, God might just say to us, look, I'm about to do something new. Even now, it's coming. Do you not see it? No matter how overwhelming the noise or how distracting the world, God is sovereign and He's got you. Do you believe that? In the early days of our country, A weary traveler came to the banks of the Mississippi River. It was getting late and starting to get dark and he needed to get to the other side. It was the winter time and the surface was icy and he he didn't know if the ice would hold him or not. But he had to get over the other side so in fear and trembling he got down on all fours to kind of spread out his weight and was slowly creeping across the ice. He got about halfway across and suddenly he heard a noise and a voice behind him and sailing by him was a man in a carriage pulling a trailer filled with coal, singing at the top of his lungs. I want you to think about that contrast. A man on his knees, trembling for fear that his foundation wouldn't hold, and a man who knew it would, fully relaxed. You see, whenever we tend to lose our focus, We start to crawl rather than stand on the promises of God. God has promised His presence. Believe it. God has promised His provision. Believe it. God has promised His protection. Believe it. God has promised His power. Believe it. And when the noise of life distracts and overwhelms, don't creep upon the promises of God. Stand firm upon them. Get back in focus by entering into His Word, into prayer and into obedience. So I leave you with the words of Isaiah that I used at the beginning of the sermon. You will be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence. Will you enter into it? I invite you to enter into the presence of Jesus even now. Let's pray. Lord our God, forgive us for all those times that we have let the noise of the world get us all out of whack. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, move among us now. Lift our eye level. Raise our heart level. Holy Spirit, be with us. Help us to continue to be still even as we call upon our Father.
1: to temptation